Hi, I'm Daniel Wordsworth. For more than 30 years, I've experienced war zones, natural disasters, refugee camps, and sprawling slums. Now I'm going to show you a better and more optimistic world. This podcast is Finding Good. Hello, Daniel. Hi, Fitz. Really enjoying your stories on the podcast. Thanks. And I know uh, a lot of our listeners are too. Lots of emails coming in. And, uh, our, you know, our downloads have increased, which is always good. It means people good. are enjoying the podcast. Right. You mentioned a couple of weeks ago on mm-hmm. one of the pods that you'd met Mother Teresa yeah. on your adventures. Mm-hmm. Now, for those, and I can't imagine there are many people that don't know who Mother Teresa is, but she, she passed away a number of years ago and perhaps... Um, the stories of Mother Teresa haven't permeated into into generations like they had in in our day. Right. So, can you quickly explain who Mother Teresa was for our listeners who don't know? Yeah. So, in my world, um, Mother Teresa's like the OG. Yep, the original gangster. And uh, <laughs> you know, when we were growing up, if you had to ask almost anyone in the world uh, who is the person that serves poor people, I think almost everybody in the world would have said that's Mother Teresa. Correct. Yep. So she's a nun, Catholic nun, and but what she's famous for was living in Calcutta mm-hmm. and she started her work or her ministry uh, looking after people that were dying. And so her work really was all about hospices and she started a number of hospices and those are spread out around the world. But what she was focused on was helping people die with dignity. That's Mother Teresa. And she's famous for being a person that lives with the poor, serves the poor. That was her thing. And she died, I think, in 1997. I was coming back from Papua New Guinea. I remember it very vividly. But that's her. So I think of her as the OG. If Francis of Assisi is the goat, greatest of all time, I think Mother Teresa is the OG. We still call her Mother Teresa, though. She was she was canonized, I think, in 2016. Yeah, I, I so pay, no one calls her Saint Teresa. I don't Teresa. pay much attention to those things. Right, okay. Yeah. Well, let's go. I, with I, I'm not trying to diss on anybody or anyone who does pay attention to those, but I think of her as the mother. Okay. Mm. Now, I know you've met her. Yeah. What led you to go yeah, and yeah, meet, or well, how did you meet the mother? Well, it's a little bit like if you want to be a basketball star, you want to meet Michael Jordan. Yep. If you want to, you know, in any field, you have the people that are at the pinnacle of that field. Yes. And she was my Michael Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> um, she was uh, remarkable. Actually, I have three people, and I mentioned uh, Bruchko in another story, who was the fourth, but, you know, three big inspirations. Mother Teresa Francis of Assisi and Bishop Oscar Romero from El Salvador. Yeah. And I've gone to visit all three of those, a little bit like a pilgrimage. Yep. Yep. And I went, and Mother Teresa was the only one that was alive when I did it. Sure. Some people go to Burning Man or Coachella. Right. You go to Calcutta. Right. Yeah. <laughs> San Salvador or Assisi yeah. in Italy. <laughs> so I went to Calcutta. I was in India for a couple of weeks beforehand. Actually, I had amoebic dysentery. I was like 10% down on my body weight. It was a crazy time. This was back in the early 90s. You had the full India travel experience. I had the whole thing, (laughs) yeah. yeah. And we were running around Hyderabad and visiting all these orphanages and anyway. But I went to Calcutta and I thought I'm going to try to – I didn't think I was going to meet Mother Teresa. How old are you at this stage? 26. Okay. 26, 27, young. This was also at that time, right, when we had those houses that I've mentioned also, I think, on the first episode where we're taking people in off the street. This is right that time. At the heart of peak, let's go and save the world. I think I'm in that right now. I don't think I've ever (laughs) left that one. (laughs) That was peak early start of that one. So I I went to Calcutta and I thought I'm going to hang out near Mother Teresa. I didn't look up her address because I thought it would be there like everyone in Calcutta would know where she lives. So I I went to this hotel and I got up in the morning and I just uh, got in a taxi and I said to the taxi driver, take me to Mother Teresa. And he was like, seemed to know where he was going. And so we drove through (laughs) Calcutta. Calcutta in those days, by the way, early night, crazy, crazy. Like it's crazy now, but back then, 
madness. In terms of what, just like population? Uh, Population, people living on the streets, bathing, people begging, all this stuff. So in terms of slums, you know when you fly into Mumbai, you fly over the world's biggest slum. Is is that what Calcutta's like? Is it a large slum or is is there any sort of... Heavily urbanised. Right, okay. It's more like imagine all those people interspersed in the streets of a large sort of old city. Yep. And I got in this taxi and I said, take me to Mother Teresa. And he drove me to this place and we pulled up. And I was kind of expecting, you know, where Mother Teresa lives would look something like a cathedral. It would look churchy. <laughs> yes. Right? So I pull up and it's just this big cement, two big cement walls and there's a dark alley in the middle. And I turned, the taxi driver pulls up, points down the dark alley. And I was looking at him and I was saying slowly, Mother Teresa, <laughs> like you've got this wrong. And he's nodding at me and like also saying slowly, yes. Mother Teresa, <laughs> like I'm the idiot. So I get out of the car and I'm standing in the alley and he's waving his hand, like go down the alley. And then, I, and then I'm going down the alley then I'm thinking, I may have really misjudged this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, I walk in down this alley. Because you're thinking there's no way this this, this, can't r- be this where Mother rock star yeah, exactly. is living in this alley. One of the most famous people in the world, you know, in the future to be canon, I met a saint and I'm in this dark alley. Mm. And I look back at the taxi driver nervously and he's waving me down this alley and then I go halfway down the alley and then I look. There's a doorway. There's like two or three steps and there's a single doorway, just a single wooden doorway. Not big gates or anything, just a single wooden doorway. And uh, I look at it, and in the on the side of the door, it's sort of built in, and on the side of it, there's a little uh, plaque, small, like about the size of an iPhone, mm-hmm. and it's written there in white, is Mother Teresa. <laughs> and I thought, this honestly can't be it. <laughs> and there was a chain, that, there's a hole in the side of the door frame, and there's a chain coming up, and I thought, I just got to test this. So I pull on the chain, mm. and uh, I wait a minute or so, and the door opens, and there is a missionary of charity, right? So they wear the white with the blue stripes. Yes. And there was a sister. And then I thought, well, maybe I'm in the right place. So I said to the sister, is this where Mother Teresa lives? And she says, yes, this is where the mother lives. And I said, great. And I stepped back onto the bottom step. And I stood there. And I was looking at her, like you'll, and, and she was looking at me. And we both stood there in an uncomfortable silence for maybe 20 <laughs> seconds. And then she said, what are you doing? <laughs> and yeah, I'm I, trying to work that out myself. I, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? And I said, I'm standing here. And she was like, I know, I know, but why are you standing <laughs> yeah. here, you weirdo? And I said, well, I want to be near the mother. So I, do you mind? I'm going to stand on this step for two or three hours. I've come all the way to Calcutta to literally stand here and be within like near where she lives. Yeah. And so I'll stand here for two or three hours if you're okay. And she paused and she said, well, the mother's here now. And I said, that's super awesome. I wasn't even imagining that. I thought she'd be gallivanting around the world with, you know, Princess Diana. I just thought I'd be near where she lives. You're telling me she's here right now. She goes, yes, she's upstairs. And then I said, well, that's great. I may stay longer. (laughs) And she said, you can come in if you would like. Would you like to meet the mother? And I stood there. I think my eye twitched. My eye twitched a little. And I said, um, yes, I would like to meet the mother. Imagine going to see a Chicago Bulls game at their height and someone says, would you like to meet Michael Jordan? Yeah. You were just happy to stand in the stadium. Yeah. Yep. So they were like, uh, yeah, she was like, yeah, come upstairs, meet the mother. So I walk upstairs. Now, the way they live, it's like this sort of 
old style building that has an open area, you know, around it. So it's like balcony on the second and third levels. And I walked up to the second level and she pointed to this wooden bench and I sat on the wooden bench and it's near a door, like the door's maybe two meters away. You've got a photographic memory of this moment. Yeah, I have a real photograph, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm meaning my It's goodness. obviously very impactful. It was very, super impactful. Probably maybe most impactful uh, meeting. Wow. Yep. I'm sitting on the bench. I'm just sitting there, maybe 45 seconds. And then I noticed in the, my peripheral that the door on my left opens. Now, I thought mother would be again. She would come and there'd be all these handlers and all this business. And I didn't think the door to the, my left would open. And the door to the left opens. And I turned to look. And there is the mother in the door frame. And it's her bed bedroom. Right. Mother Teresa comes out. Now, Mother Teresa is much smaller than you think. Everyone knows she's small, but yeah. she is really small. And she had, I think, some problem with her spine. And so she's very bent over. Okay. But I leapt up, right? <laughs> I leapt up. This is the Mother Teresa. And uh, like a, you know, a teenager with Justin Bieber. Yep. And I'm the mother. Oh, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. And then she's like, steady, calm it down. Calm it down. She doesn't really, she's too gracious. But she's just like doing these hand motions. Sit down, sit down, sit down. So I sit down. She sits down next to me on this bench. And then she says, nice to meet you. Tell me about you. And I told her a little bit about me. Well, she's Macedonian, but she speaks she English. She speaks English, yeah. yeah. Heavy accent, but she speaks English. And she asked me how my, uh, what I do. And I mentioned where I got these houses. And she's like, you are, you know, you're a great servant of God and servant of the poor. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> I play basketball. <laughs> yep. And so she, uh, she says, why are you here? And I said, well, I was just wanting to be near you. And then she says, well, why did you want to be near me? And I said, well, in truth, I want to be like you. And I thought if I come here and I stand on the steps for a few Now, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing how dumb it sounds, right? Yeah. But I was like, I want to stand on the steps. I thought I would stand there for two or three hours. And by being near you, you know, I don't know. I hadn't thought that much out. Yeah, maybe by osmosis, oh, maybe, the goodness will enter maybe me. Maybe goodness will enter me or something. And she said, well, that's not the way to know me. She said, if you want to know me, you don't even have to meet me really. What you should do is we have these hospices that I mentioned earlier where there are people who are dying and there's a very famous one, the first one she started in Calicut mm. and she said, if you would like, I'll arrange and if you, how many days are you in Calcutta? And I said, I'm here for three days. And she said, well, you can spend the three days looking after somebody who's dying and if you do that, that's the best way if you want to understand who I am and what I am, that's the best way to do it. So I said, okay. And she called over another sister and she said, get this boy arranged <laughs> and set him up for three days in Calicut. And uh, then she, you know, said, bless you, and she left. I thought, that's pretty awesome. You didn't even get an autograph. Or a photo. You didn't get no iPhones, right? You couldn't pull your phone out and get a selfie. Yeah, you couldn't get a selfie in those days. But I didn't even think. Well, I wasn't expecting to meet Mother Teresa. I was expecting to stand in the doorway. So I didn't think I had to take it. But I wouldn't have taken a photo. We didn't take photos much in those days, did we? No, no one did. Yeah. So uh, what then happened is actually as as the sister, she's leaving, she said, where are you staying? Because she knows Calcutta is crazy. She she said, uh, where are you staying? And I said, I'm staying at this hotel. It's called Fairlawn Hotel, actually. It's famous. Patrick Swayze did a movie out of it. <laughs> called the Fairlawn Hotel. I said, I'm staying at the Fairlawn Hotel. She said, do you know how to, how to get back? And I said, no, I don't. And she said, well, we'll help you. We'll find a guide for you and they'll help you get back. Mm -hmm. So the, the guy that guided me 
was this young guy. He's like 32. I'm 26, but, you know, he's 32. Yeah. So uh, he's walking me back and we're walking through the st streets of Calcutta. And it's like being in a constant movement and sound and honking and cows and everyone grabbing at you and asking you for things. And we're sort of weaving our way through Calcutta and we're telling, I'm telling, he's telling me, tell me your story. Why are you here? I want to meet Mother Teresa. I wanted to hang out where I wanted to hang out. What do you do? We have these houses. We take poor people in off the street. We care for them. And then I said, what do you do to this? He goes, well, I'm an architect and I'm from Dublin. <laughs> so I go, well, what are you doing here? And he says, I come here for the last six years. I've been coming here for three months every year. So I work for nine months and then I come to Calcutta for three months and I work in the hospice that you're going to go to tomorrow. I spend three months with dying people in that hospice. And then I said, well, that's super awesome. Great. Good job. Mm. And uh, as he's walking along, he suddenly stops. And no one stops in Calcutta, but he stopped. It's like trying to stop in the middle of a riptide. Right. And so he stops and then he grabs me. And I stop. And then he says, I've thought about something. I need to tell you something. So I said, okay. And uh, he turned me around and he's facing me. And he's like that, you know that Seinfeld show where there's the close talker? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's like that. Because it's so crazy. I think he had to. But he was like close talker. He's right up on me. And I'm like, whoa. And he's right up on me. And he says, I've, not, I've, I've seen something and I've not been able to tell anybody but I think you would understand it and I have to tell somebody. And I was standing there looking at him. It's all crazy, all around crazy. I go, uh, what have you seen? <laughs> and he says, well, you don't realize it, but when you're in that hospice, the mother's also there. That's what she does. She's not some person about. She works every day with dying people. And that you may see her for the next three days with you. Mm. And he said, I've been doing this for the six years, like I said, and so I've seen the mother for months and months at a time. I've been watching her. And I said, how good to be you? And he said, but I've seen something. And then I thought, oh, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I finally met my hero and you're going to, like, prick my balloon. Yeah. And he says, uh, you know, when you and I, when we look after poor people, when we care for poor people, we do it because we love people, right? And I said, yeah, right, yeah. That's why we do it. And then he pauses, and then he gets all conspiratorial. <laughs> he really all yeah, crazy. Like, crazy. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody this. He's looking around like this to the right. He's looking around to the left, and then he leans in even closer. He goes, "I don't think that's how Mother Teresa sees it." And then I'm like, "Wow!" And then I lean in closer. I start looking. I'm getting nervous. How does Mother Teresa see it? <laughs> and then he puts his head back and he looks around again like this, and then he leans in. You and I, we think they're people, we're humans. We do it because we love them. Yes. He goes, I think she thinks it's Jesus. That when she's kneeling there and she's holding their hand and when she's looking after them, she thinks they're God. And then he steps back a little bit and says, what do you make of that? Because <laughs> <laughs> he'd come to this just through observation. Yeah. He thought he'd gone mad. And I said, well, good observation. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've obviously he's had six years to think about this. Yeah, think this, about though, right? this. And I'm the first person he's confessed it to. And I said, that's a really beautiful, it's a really beautiful idea. And uh, 
Actually, you'll hear that idea woven through everything that I talk about is that observation. Yeah. yeah. Often when you work in suffering environments, people say, where's God, right? You, the temptation is to mm. blame God. And I will say for about 15, 20 years, I did. But then you realize when you think about it, this because you asked, how, how does a Mother Teresa do it? I oh, know, you're with, you're with dying people. All the time. All the time. And they're dying of tuberculosis or HIV and AIDS or they're dying of hard things. And mostly the ones that she looks after are alone when they're dying. That's why they go to her hospice because they have no family, they have no friends, they're dying alone and she takes them off the street. They're dying in the street. She picks them up and brings them to her hospice. And the temptation would be to say, where's God in all of this? And then what she realized along the way was that the person that was lying in front of her was God. Yeah, so... It's a whole different way of viewing it. Mm. Yeah. If you think about it like that, then you might understand her motivation a bit more. You can understand how she could do it for yeah. like 40 years. Yeah. yeah. And relentless. be beautiful and gentle and lovely. And Because how do you – I mean, the name of the podcast, Finding Good, how do you, you have to find something good in – you couldn't do that for 40 years without finding the good in it. Yeah, hopelessness would drown you. Yeah, yeah. that must be particularly hard in your line of work. You have to decide – and that's why a moment like that's important to someone like me. Uh, I think of him as a, in a way, you know, there's a concept of angels, but all the angel really means is messenger. Mm. And so sometimes all of us have experienced this in our lives. Somebody comes along and they say something to you and you realize, and it sticks with you for the rest of you. I'm still telling the story now, what it's 26 story. It's as real to me now as it ever was. Yeah. And I realized that person was like an angel. They were like a messenger that was sent to me because I'm about to go on a long journey, 25, 30 years, and I'm going to ask this question. And I got sent a messenger early on who told me the answer. Yeah, wow. Have you ever got to the stage where you've thought, I can't do this anymore? Like where you've seen that hopelessness and then you've gone, I, I don't know if I can do this much longer? Uh, no, but I was worried that I would um, – I never was never going to not do it, but I wasn't sure what it would do to me. Yeah, what sort of person will I be at the end yeah, of this? Yeah, what person will I be at the end of this? I, I had a friend of mine who listens to this podcast. He was talking about early days when he knew me 20 years ago and he said you were the one that said the world was bad, that nothing was good, that yeah. humans sucked. Right. That's op- right. How good's optimism, right? Yeah, I had no, yeah, that was pre, pre-reluctant optimism era. All of this is learned behaviour. My, my attitude now, what I'm talking about now is learned. It's, I didn't start that way. Yep. The danger you have in this kind of work is that you're never, you can never be happy because you realize that somebody else somewhere is suffering and so you're constantly aware of that. And many of those people, you know them personally. So it's not just that you know in objectively that people are suffering. Mm. You can name people who are suffering and they're your friends. And so whenever something's good's happening to you, you've got this constant memory and realization that this is not. And But also it has some upside meaning whenever something bad has happened to you, you think, it Isn't could a, be much worse. It could than be this. worse, correct. Yeah. But but also when you're having something good happen to you, you're like, well, how can I enjoy this happy no- moment knowing that this is happening somewhere in the world or this is happening to someone? So you've, I guess you've got two choices. You either disassociate and pretend it doesn't exist, but that seems almost yeah. So that's what I argue. That's right? what I argue against the, the disassociation. That's where a lot of people say you become objective, you become specialized. You just, you know, that idea that like doctors don't, mm. you know, they just. I call it first name calling. You know, Mike, how are you feeling today? Mike, how was your night's sleep? You know, you start first name calling people like police do and doctors do. It's a way of actually objectifying you, but ironically, by using your name. Right. Instead, you have to embrace it. 
Uh, what helped me was a group of refugees that I met. Sibyl actually is one of them. And they are joyful. And I just sat there one day and I was watching them and they were so full of joy and happiness and laughing with each other. I just thought, it's okay. Like if they're like that, it's okay if I'm like that. So that's, I got permission from, I've, I think I've mentioned that in the previous yeah. podcast when I got permission to be happy. It, no one literally gave me permission, but I thought if they are allowed to be happy in this setting and joyful, well, then I can be it when I'm not here with them. So yeah. that was a big moment for me. So Bill, by the way, who, who you've just mentioned was on our previous episode about could you, could you. Right. If you haven't listened to that episode, it's a great chat, so have a listen. But uh, so you're in, I'll take you back now, I sidetracked you. You're in, you're in Calcutta, you've met the mother, you've met the Irishman. <laughs> yeah, my angel. And you go to the hospice, what, straight away or the next day? The next morning I go to the hospice, so I wake up. I go down to this hospice, Calicut, very famous hospice. It's the one Mother Teresa first started. She's got many, but this Calicut's very famous one. And I knock on the door and I'm so embarrassed. And the door opens. Why are you embarrassed? Well, the sister opens the door up and I said in my embarrassed way, look, I know the boss called. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're super busy. You've got all this stuff you're doing. <laughs> And you get a call from the boss and the boss says, look give up, this kid a job. give this Australian a job for three days <laughs> yeah. being a volunteer. I said, oh, it sucks and I'm so embarrassed about it. So all you need to do is just say that I didn't come or I came and whatever, but you don't have to take me in. It's okay. And the sister again standing there looking at me and she's like, Ian, why are you being weird about this? You're, like, <laughs> You're welcome in here. So I come in inside and it's, um, it's a real old style uh, building you can immediately see where everybody is and what they're lying on, they're like stretches. So it's not like a hospital wards at yeah. all. It's like imagine an old sort of mansion with all these different rooms with all these stretches. Like camp beds. Like camp beds. And they have these sheets on. It's like a very bright sort of deep forest green. and uh, But everyone's lying there and you walk into different rooms and it's very confronting because they are all dying and they're dying of HIV and AIDS or tuberculosis or whatever, right? So they are skeletal and weak and racking coughs and there's a lot of diarrhea and things. I'm just looking around the room and I said, what am I meant to do here, yeah. right? And uh, she said, well, what we do is we, we give you one person to look after. And so how long are you here for? Three days. So I'll take you to a person and he will be your person and for three days you look after him. So you come in the morning and you help with breakfast and bathing and going to the toilet and then you help with any medications and you just look after that person through the day with all the things that they need. And I said, okay. She took me to the person and then I said, what's a good way to start? <laughs> She said, well, why don't you sit down and hold his hand and uh, you could sing songs to him if you'd like or just say nice things, encourage mm -hmm. him. And then I pulled her to the side away from earshot and I said, I have to confess something. I don't speak Hindi. Yeah. Like I don't speak his language. If I'm singing to him or I'm saying nice words to him, he won't understand anything that I'm saying. And she looked at me and laughed and she said, It'll be okay. He'll get the gist. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent the next three days doing that. Right. It'll all be in tone, right? It, He'll know why you're there. He's happy you're there. Yeah. He's happy you're there because he was by himself dying on the street before this. And did that man last the three days that you were there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you ever think back now and wonder 
No, I know what happened to him in the end. Right. But this is part of, uh, you know, the thing that people say about Mother Teresa. They say, why would you only help? Because these people are dying and there's some criticism that people have of Mother Teresa that why would she work so much with dying people? Why doesn't she help with preventative health care? And that's when she says, I think God is speaking to you. Yeah. I, I mentioned that in another podcast when people rebuke her you know, you should work on preventative health care in Calcutta. She says, that's an awesome idea and I think God's talking to you. Like there's room for all of us. Yeah. Her calling is to help people who are lonely and dying and it's incurable disease. That's her calling. Mm. But all of us, if we feel passionately about things, there's plenty of opportunities to do good in the world. Yeah. Mm. And you'd like to think if you're, you know, you're on the way out and you're poor, that there's someone there holding your hand and talking to you. Yeah, well, what's the alternative? You. you die literally in a gutter. Yeah. With people... Walking, stepping over you. Yeah, that's that's inhuman. Yeah, that's also to the topic we talked about earlier. You don't, no one gives dignity to people, but you can erode it and take it away from them. And dying by yourself in a gutter with a cow next to you and people walking over you going to school or to their business, that's a good way to erode dignity. Yeah. Mm. So did you see the mother again? I never saw her again. I, I think it once was enough. Um, <laughs> she, set me, she set me going. I've stuck with those uh, lessons ever since. I mean, she was an incredible woman and that's obviously had a huge impact on you. She's, just think about the amount of people who are still living who she's had an impact on like that. Yes. I think she would say, I know a little bit because she said it to me, she would say she is not an incredible woman at all and that she struggled with a lot of doubt and she struggled with, so many things through her life, the same observations that people make of her. It's not like she didn't have those observations when she's lying at night in bed. Mm. you got to do what you got to do. And she did the best she could in the place that she was in. And uh, she is remarkable, but she's a human. There was a book that was written in the late 60s by an English journalist. Malcolm Muggeridge. Malcolm yeah. Muggeridge, Something Beautiful for God, which really brought Mother Teresa into to the forefront, in certainly in the West, where people first became aware of her. Uh, have you ever read that book? I've read that book, yeah. It's a really – I also take something from that book and I take something from that experience that he had and I don't remember if it's actually in the book or whether he was talking about it being interviewed. Yeah. But this is the gist of the story. This also has really stayed with me and I think we misunderstand these stories a bit and so I'm going to try to reframe it at the end. He was some sort of disillusioned socialist guy and he was a, a right-wing character and he decided that he was going to go and prick Mother Teresa. Well, he started as a socialist, right? And then he went and lived as a foreign correspondent for The Guardian in Russia and became disillusioned with communism oh, yeah. and that sort of turned him to the other side. He so sounds he like was, he's a pretty hardcore character. Yeah, so he was, I think he was looking for any sort of form of optimism going, this can't be real. Probably that's where he was at. It actually, probably he was on a search for some kind of real yeah. and was afraid that he wouldn't find it. And so it's easier in that environment to go in looking for trouble but I think he was open because uh, he changed over the time he spent with Mother Teresa. He spent a few days with her. And what he noticed is what really stood out to him was he was like me. When he walks through the streets of Calcutta, everyone's shouting. Everyone wants to ask you for money. One of the things you get asked for a lot in those early days was baby powder all the time. Oh, really? I don't know why exactly, but everyone used to go baby powder, baby powder. And then and they asked for money and you're getting accosted all the time. And he was getting accosted all the time. But then he would walk with Mother Teresa through the slums and he was thinking, if I get it bad, she's going to get it real bad. Yeah. yeah. But he noticed that when she walked through the slums, 
the people that she walked past, because the slums are very narrow walkways and as she would walk through with him, people would lean out and they would just touch her habit, you know, the like the outfit she was right, wearing, yeah. robes, and they would just pull on it enough to get her attention and when she looked at them, they would just stop and let it go. And people that couldn't touch her, what she was wearing, they would just call out, mother, mother. Not, not loud, not aggressively, just mother, mother. And when she turned to look at them and they made eye contact, they would stop and they would settle back down. And she would just walk through the slums like this, people touching, people calling out to her. She would look at them and it would stop. And for a couple of days he's watching this and he couldn't understand it. Like surely he could not do much, but if she's like got a big, all these homes and she's famous, like surely. And then on his last day, he's leaving. So he's on the train at Calcutta station and the mother comes to the train station to see him off. So she's standing on the, you know, at platform. He's on the train, but he stands between two carriages. He doesn't go initially to his seat. He's, you know, standing in between, looking out the gap at the mother and the train's pulling away and he's leaning out further and further can't take his eyes off her. And then finally the train turns around a corner and he loses sight of her. And he starts crying, like seriously weeping. And he staggers back into his seat, sits down and says, get a hold of yourself, guy. Like, yeah. what's up? Why are you crying like this? And he, so he was sort of searching his feelings and he realized that he felt this immense grief. And then he thought, what am I grieving? And he realized that what he was grieving, and it's hard to explain it, but it's like while he was with Mother Teresa, he shone more. He felt good. He felt good, but he felt good in the sense that he was like the good version of Malcolm Muggeridge, that while he was there, somehow he became bigger. It's not that she became bigger, that when he was with her, he became bigger. Right. He became more generous, more open, more compassionate, more idealistic, more – he became bigger. And when he lost sight of her, he went back to being old Malcolm Muggeridge, small, mean, nasty, and he thought that I don't want to be that one. I want to be the other one, right? right? And so then he goes on this journey to become that. It's an interesting lesson because the temptation with people like Mother Teresa and others is to think of them as so remarkable that when you're with them, they become bigger. Right. But there's something in that interaction between two humans that gives you the gift of yourself becoming larger. And there's something in her ordinariness that is extraordinary. It's hard to explain it and I think, it's, I think there are certain souls that are like this. But for us, what I took from that is how does that happen if you're not with a saint? <laughs> right? How do you, like we're not it's all going to follow around Mother saint. Teresa. Well, by the way, that's what happened, was happening in the slums because you have all these people that are the most forgotten, left, abandoned people. Yeah. And the reason why they were grabbing at her or calling Mother and wanting her to – is because they experienced the same, same thing, that when Mother Teresa looked at them even just for a second, they got bigger, not her. Because they, she saw them? Somehow it worked. She saw them. It's like this transaction, and I know folks listening to this may think this sounds so sort of metaphysical, but nonetheless, I think I can't hang around with saints the whole time, so I've been <laughs> then searching around. I think Herman Hesse calls it the golden thread. 
how do you find this beautiful thing in your human experience? How do you live in the golden thread? Yeah. And my answer to that is by giving. Right. So even if you can't hang around with Mother Teresa, you can give. Yeah. And that's where I talk about this idea that the greatest realization a person has is of their own worth. That's the I become bigger. Yeah. And how do I reliably see that in the mirror? By giving of myself freely. And that's how you can – so I've been, cause I've been trying to replicate. I'm like, how do I replicate that, Marcos? Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I replicate it. Excellent. Well, what an incredible story, again, of meeting Mother Teresa and, and her work. And that you carry that with you forever now. Yeah, I do. Uh, we're going to leave it there, Daniel. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed the podcast, and we hope you have, please do us a favour and if you just rate it on Apple or Spotify, that helps people discover the podcast. You can also ask any questions of Daniel via the website, danielwordsworth.com, or follow him along on the socials. There's video of this. You'll see clips from the shows. Thanks very much, Daniel. Great. Thanks, Fitz. Talk to you next time. 